We're beginning a new book of the Bible today. It's the book of James. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn there and follow along with us. Specifically today, I'm going to talk about how God has a plan for your problems. And people deal with problems in a lot of different ways. And sometimes in the midst of the problem or the challenge, they are not quite sure how to respond. And by walking through this message together, we'll know how to better respond as followers of Jesus. We know this to be the case because it's at that spur of the moment, that sudden opportunity, how will we respond? Will we respond as the scripture was just read to us, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, or will we respond in other ways? Now again, maybe you've been in a car accident and sometimes people uh, see that and they, well, how do I respond? What am I supposed to do? That people come up with a lot of reasons and excuses at times like that to tell their insurance company when bad things happen. Matter of fact, here's actually, these are actual quotes from insurance company reports filled out by people who were in a car accident. Let's take a look. First, the other car collided with mine without giving warning of its intention. Fair enough. The other guy, here's another one. The other guy was all over the place. I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. These are actual, these are not made up. As I approached the intersection, a stop sign suddenly appeared in a place where no stop sign had ever appeared before. Uh, here's the next one. The telephone pole was approaching fast. I was attempted to swerve out of its path when it struck me in the front end. <laughs> to avoid hitting the bumper of the car in front, I struck the pedestrian. There's another one. An invisible car came out of nowhere, struck my vehicle, and vanished. I, I think I've had that happen. Uh, coming home, I drove into the wrong house and collided with a tree I don't have. Right? You kind of get that one, right? Um, I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and headed over the embankment. That's kind of my, that's kind of my favorite. Now... <laughs> Now, 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 again, we laugh at those things, but imagine you're filling out the accident report. We all have to answer the question, how will we deal with troubles? Now, how you deal with troubles in hard times is really one of the most important indicators of where your faith is and where your trust is. Not just uh, the moment that you're in, but in the midst of the challenge that you face. So we're going to hear today and in subsequent weeks from someone the name of James. Matter of fact, let's take a look. We're talking about believing God in tough times, right? Believing God in tough times in James chapter 1, verses 1 through 8 is going to be our text today. Now it says this, beginning at verse 1, just so we know who's writing this. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is James 1.1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion Greetings. Okay, so we, we begin with that passage that we know this is um, written by a guy named James, who's actually Jesus's half brother, his younger brother. And so he, we know he knows Christ. We know now he's a follower of Jesus. And so it begins with identifying who he is. Now, who he is will become important as we go through the series, and we'll learn more about him during that time. But now, three things I want to draw out of this text today and we'll walk through them one at a time. Number one on our outline is to trust God when life is hard. It's to trust God when life is hard. Now that's not so easy 
So let's take a look at the passage again and see what it tells us. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, my brothers and sisters would be appropriate here, when you meet trials of various kinds. Okay, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now we're going to look at several things today, but you have joy when life is hard if you'll trust God through the pain. That's what I want you to see today. You'll have joy when life is hard if you'll trust God through the pain. First, let's take a look at uh, when you have trials of various kinds. It's not an if, but a when. It's not if you have trials of various kinds. It's not an if, but a when. Now, the reality is, is a lot of times there are, if you will, branches of Christians who actually teach that you can live a problem-free and a problem-free existence. And I'm deeply concerned that some of that teaching has impacted the church in many different ways. Maybe because it's on television, maybe it adds a sense of legitimacy to what they're saying. It's not. It's theological rubbish. The reality is, is all of us will face difficulties and troubles. I saw a bumper sticker that said, more or less, stuff happens, and that's right, it does. Now, maybe you're experiencing that right now. Maybe you're going through a hard time, or some of you just came from one, or some of you are going into one, or some of you will soon be going into one. And I want you not to miss that the reality is this is an expectation even for the Christian. But it's also a reminder to the Christian that we have some differences in how we respond to this, right? You look at John 16, verse 33. It says, I have said these things to you, this is Jesus talking, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. I don't want you to miss the contrast. You may have peace, you will have tribulation. Don't miss it. You will have tribulation, you may have peace. And what I want to talk about today is how you might have peace in the midst of difficulty, tribulation, and struggle. And it really comes down to who Jesus is. It says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. As a matter of fact, in 1 John 4, 4, using the New International Version, it says, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So if Jesus dwells in you, the difficulties that you face, the problems that you encounter, God is greater than those problems. However, it doesn't mean that he therefore exempts you from those problems. Don't you wish that was the case? I do. I think it's a realistic thing to say, man, I wish, Lord, I wish Christians just never had problems. Matter of fact, the psalmists would write and say, why do the wicked flourish and good people suffer? And this is a real question that we ask. I had Lee Strobel on my radio show a couple of weeks ago, a couple of Saturdays ago, and he talked about this. The number one reason, the number one objection that non-Christians have is, well, you have so much trouble in the world, how can there be a God who rules over all. Now here's the thing, it's in the presence of Christ that actually gives us the strength to face trials. So the difference is not that Christians don't have trials, it's how they face trials and you can have joy. TV evangelists will tell you, you'll have no problems. I'm going to tell you, you're going to have problems, but in the midst of them, you can have joy. Now again, I recognize TV evangelists, but listen, you can give me all the money that you want to give to the TV evangelists, right? I'll buy a new Hummer with your money, get fog lamps on it, get my wife a really big hairdo and some thick makeup, 
And I will promise you that I cannot make you rich and happy, and when it rains, it will still rain on your house. Because the Bible literally says when it rains, it rains on the just and the unjust. So the difference here is not even the number of problems. So I would say, and I'm going to say in just a minute, there is some distinction here that can be made. I do believe Christians will walk in some less difficulties. I'll explain that in just a minute. But the Bible nowhere tells us that we're going to be problem-free. Now, if you're following Jesus, you're going to probably make some better choices that might keep you from getting into some of the trials that you got into before you were following Jesus. But the Bible nowhere tells us that specifically why bad things happen to good people in general, but not in particular, it tells us in general, but not in particular. Instead, it says to focus on God and experience the power he gives us to make it through problems. It's, it's, it's not the avoidance of problems, but the promise of presence, okay? His presence. It's not the avoidance of problems, but the promise of his presence. You can have joy when life is hard if you will trust God through the pain. Your faith should show up, not shrink in troubles. Let me say that again. Your faith should show up, not shrink in troubles, right? So again, this phrase, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now that's a, again, count it all joy. So you're supposed to be joyful when you have difficulties? Well, yes. I mean, that's literally what the Bible's saying. And I know it sounds uh, a little bit like a, you know, positive, happy thoughts, but the J.B. Phillips, um, uh, translation puts it this way. It says, when all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brothers, don't resent them as true intruders, but welcome them as friends. Realize they didn't come to test your faith. We realize they come to test your faith and to produce in you the quality of endurance. And I think the key word to remember here is the word cons- count it all joy or consider it all joy. Uh, for some of you, we need to reconsider, we need a recount of our problems. But unlike the Iowa caucuses, we can actually get to a final number. Is that okay? Just just having a little fun there. So the key word is count it or consider or reconsider. It means to count, consider, or evaluate. And that's why so many Christians can walk in peace because they've recounted and reconsidered. So I told you a minute ago that I was, a Pastor Tim, he looks over and he said, I got to pray. Stetzer sitting down there um, doing something. I was actually looking at my phone. Don't send me any letters about looking at my phone. So here's the text I got while just a few minutes before the uh, time for me to preach. Hey, can you talk a minute? It's from my wife who knows I'm about to preach. So that's not a good sign. I don't want to distract you before preaching. And it's sort of under control but the washing machine has overflowed. Okay, now you, what you don't know about my washing machine, it's on the second floor. And so then she sends pictures. <laughs> and right now I'm looking at pictures of my house, my ceilings dripping, my walls running, and my basement sailing away, items are. And so I said, knowing I was gonna be before you, Praise God for this. Right? Lord, I'd like to thank you for the opportunity to have a sermon illustration this morning. (laughs) 
So she, I, I step out, right? I step out, I call, and I say, hey, um, how bad is it? She said, oh, it's, it's bad. It's insurance company calling bad. And I, I, and I said, well, you know, I got to preach. She said, oh, yeah, it's all done now. No reason for you to rush home. <laughs> See, but here's the thing. I mean, it is sort of a reminder, and it does say when you meet ver- trials of various kinds. Let me just tell you that the trial of an overflowed uh, washing machine is not the trial that so many of us have walked through with illness or with cancer or with loss or with struggle or with pain. But the reality is it's all kinds. And so we're in ourselves, we're seeking to build the kind of response when we can say, Lord, thank you for allowing me to walk through the challenge of this trial which is so hard even to say now, it seems silly, but I'm not thanking for the trial. Lord, thank you for the fact that right now things are swimming in my basement. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not happy with that at all. But you can have joy when life is hard if you'll trust God through the pain or the difficulty. Right? Let, let, let's, let me quote Warren Wearsby. Right? Warren Wearsby, former pastor here, says, our values determine our evaluations. If we value comfort more than character, then trials will upset us. If we value the material and the physical more than the spiritual, we won't be able to count it all joy. If we live out only for the present and forget the future, then trials will make us bitter, not better. Isn't that great? So here we live for all of us. Let's move away from my silly example. I do think the Lord always brings pastors through opportunities for sermon illustrations, and I do thank him for that. But the part I want you not to miss is, is for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. If you didn't know that, now you know it. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And a Christian is someone who lives for God even in the midst of the hard time. And we know that that test produces endurance. That test produces endurance. Now, I gave you a, a silly but timely example. Let me give you a much more serious one. Right now, you may be in the midst of a great time and the Lord's doing good things in your life, but I need you to know that your brothers and sisters around the world are struggling in many places. Perhaps one most in the news is the Wuhan province, city of China, in China. Now, don't miss this. There are all kinds of Christians who live there, okay? This is a place where the gospel has indeed flourished under communist rule. And so just this week, a pastor published an open letter from Wuhan to the rest of the world. Now, not some silly washing machine incident, but the Christian leader identified simply as a Wuhan pastor by China Source, which is, uh, was spun out of the Billy Graham Center where I work, and uh, it is a well-respected and trusted source for information there. Here's, here's what the pastor writes. It is readily apparent that we are, we are facing a test of our faith, the pastor wrote. The situation is so critical, yet we are trusting in the Lord's promises that his thoughts towards us are of peace and not evil, Jeremiah 29, 11, and that he allows for a time of testing not to destroy us, but to establish us. He goes on and says, therefore, Christians are not only to suffer with the people of this city, but we have a responsibility to pray for those in this city who are fearful to bring them to the peace of Christ. The pastor emphasizes, and I'm reading from a Christian Post article, the pastor emphasizes that while Christ has, quote, given us his peace, unquote, that, quote, peace is not to remove us from disaster and death, but rather to have peace in the midst of disaster and death because Christ has already overcome these things, unquote. 
I don't want you to miss this, right? So this is real world stuff. And here's the reality, right? Um, we pray for our sisters and brothers in Wuhan and the whole province. But the reality is there is a pretty good chance that what's not being well contained there will soon be here. And so the question may be, we don't know, and I don't want to set anyone off on a panic, but I mean, if this becomes the case, we too will be dealing with the question, how do we face a global pandemic? In 1919, Moody Church was impacted by the Spanish flu, just like everybody else was. And so if that's the case, what are we to do? Let me tell you what they're doing right now in Wuhan. They're actually out there giving away masks to people who don't have them and sharing the gospel with them when they do. Now, we know historically that Christians in the midst of difficulty, when they stood up in peace and faith and joy, that was the time when the world paid the most attention to them. For example, Cyprian of Carthage. Cyprian of Carthage was a bishop in the early church. Um, a plague sweeps through Carthage, it's called, and, and, and it's called the Plague of Cyprian simply because he described it. And Cyprian gathers the Christians and says, we are going to care for the sick and the dying, and we're going to trust the Lord in the midst of it. Now, we fast forward a century, and there's an emperor on the throne of Rome. His name is Julian the Apostate. His mother did not name him Julian the Apostate. But Julian the Apostate would speak up and say in the midst of all this, there he's trying to turn back the advance of Christianity in what was then the Roman Empire, and he said, we can't do it because whilst the pagan priests neglect the poor, the Christians care for the sick, the poor, the dead, and welcome them living into their communities. He called them the impious Galileans. They didn't have the piety to the gods. They only worshiped one god. The Romans sometimes called the Christians atheists because they didn't believe in the gods. They just believed in the one god. He said they were impious Galileans, followers of Jesus from Galilee. So what does that tell us? In the midst of trials and tribulations, Christians who showed a difference were the ones who won the world to Jesus. So it's not so much that we don't have trials and tribulations. I remember the last time this uh, global pandemic talk came about. It was actually uh, very personal to us. My daughter was at a camp in Georgia, and she came back with swine flu, one of the first cases in Tennessee where we lived at the time, first six people to have swine flu, before we knew that it wasn't as deadly as they first thought. And so I have pictures of my kids with masks, and I created a reverse pressure room where Kristen was, and all of those things that you would do. And, I, and at that time, people were very frightened. People were very, we didn't know, some of you remember that, we didn't know how virulent it was. We didn't know, we just didn't know. And in the midst of that, Christians would come and say, we're going to trust the Lord in the midst of this. Now, we don't know if we'll face the trial that our sisters and brothers in China are right now, but we know that we will face trials. So how you face trials, all right, this is key. Go to the next slide. Uh, how you face trials, oh, excuse me, uh, and with whom you face them will determine if your problems make you bitter or better, quoting Warren Wiersbe. How you face trials and with whom you face them, right, will 
determine if your problems make you bitter or better. I skipped a verse. Let's go back to it. It's Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. It says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. I want you to do something. I want you to turn to the person next to you and says, this is a hard truth. Go ahead and tell them that right now. It is a hard truth. It's not normal, it's not natural, it actually can seem a little strange, but it is true that sufferings is part of what God uses. Philippians 2.13 says, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So God is at work in you. You may have joy when life is hard if you trust God through the pain. So number one, we start with a very clear teaching, trust God when life is hard. But number two is believe God in times of trouble. I mean, God says things through his word, verse four says, and let steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now here's the contrast, right? Do I want James 1.4? Do I want verse four? Do I want steadfastness to have its full effect? Do I want to be perfect, which is a way to describe maturity, and complete, lacking in nothing? If I want Verse four, I gotta walk through verses two and three. That's just the reality. Not saying it's easy, saying in doing so, you will grow in maturity as you walk through the problem with God's help leaning on his grace. You will indeed have joy when life is hard if you will trust God through the pain. To believe God in times of trial is to trust him that steadfastness will have its full effect and you'll be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What, is, what do problems or trials do? Well, um, first, let's remind ourselves of this. God is far more interested in your character than in your comfort. This short time here on earth, he's shaping you, he's molding you. God often uses trials to help you trust him and to comfort others. God often uses trials to push you to pray. God often uses trials to allow you to bring glory to him. You may notice how many verses there are in the Bible about suffering. Here's another, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 says, If in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Now it's interesting, sometimes I will pick up somebody's Bible. I actually uh, borrowed Pastor Bill's Bible uh, about a year or two ago and I lost it. Um, but he has requested me to purchase him, and he's not going to, he's a little bitter about that. Uh, before I lost it, I looked through all the verses that he highlighted, because you can really tell a person's sin pattern based upon the verses that they've highlighted. <laughs> and I've got a couple of pictures I want to show you of those from Pastor Bill's highlights. No, that's not true. But what I do find, and you borrow somebody's Bible, I find that a lot of people have highlighted a lot of the verses we're talking about today. And the, one of the reasons why is this is real world stuff. Now, I came to Christ in a church that taught me that we wouldn't have problems like this. And then we face crisis and difficulty and death. And in the midst of that, I would come back to 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 and say, if necessary, you'll rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it's tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor 
at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So don't miss the beauty of this reality. Now, I'm not saying you need to walk around saying, man, problems are awesome. You know, you didn't see me get up here and say, hoo-hoo, call State Farm. Nope, didn't see me say that. Um, not happy about it, right? Don't know. Super supportive husband, by the way, in the midst of this, just in case you're wondering how super supportive I was. You say, well, shouldn't you just drive home right now and take care of it? She said, there's no point in doing it now. Everything's already destroyed. <laughs> so here I am, encouraging you. Anyway. Uh, but no, I'm not, so I'm not saying go around and say, I love them. I, I think it's a little strange sometimes people act that way. You know, man, I got in the car accident. Praise God. No, no car accidents hurt. Car accidents are not good, right? I, I, I want more of them. I want more trials and struggles. No, no, don't do that, right? I mean, that's not what we're looking for. It, that's a little weird, but it says you have to endure them. So endure doesn't mean that you're thrilled that they're there, but you endure them with a deep, joyful confidence that God is doing something in the midst of them. And the next verse helps us, helps us with that when we remember. The next verses help us with this when we remember the context in which they're given. So we've talked first and foremost, we talked a little bit about just what it means to trust God when life is hard. And then we talked secondly about um, believe God in times of trial where the difficulties are there. And then thirdly, ask God when life is confusing. Now, when James is writing his epistle, which I will tell you, you're going to have just a remarkable time. We'll walk through this book together in the next few weeks and it will be, I mean, James is just such a great book. I encourage you, you could read through James easily once a week in preparation as we're walking through this and you're coming on Sunday having read James and sometimes James will sort of uh, hit a theme, lay out that theme, come back, do another theme. And that, that, the second theme is different than the first theme. Sometimes he ties them together or more. But I do think it's interesting that James here connects these trials with asking God for wisdom in the, maybe the midst of them. Let's take a look at verses 5 through 8 of James chapter 1. It says, if any of you lack wisdom... Let him ask God. That's a great promise right there, right? Who gives generously to all and without approach, and it will be given him. Now, I want to stop for just a second, because if you have your Bible out, you probably noticed a few things. Verse 1 is sort of indented. Verses 2 through 4 are like a paragraph, a set of teaching about trials. But I think there's a connection between verses 2 to 4 and verses 5 through 8 that I don't want us to miss, because I will tell you, that in the midst of trials is when I need wisdom the most. And I, and I say, Lord, Lord, give me that direction in the midst. What should I do? How should I respond? And so James writes, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. I want you not to casually walk past this passage. The Bible says, if you ask God, he will give you wisdom. Now, how he gives wisdom comes in different ways, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But it says this, right? But let him ask in faith. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, we can both take that as a separate teaching, and I think you could do that. But to me, I think it's important to tie together verses 2 through 4 through 5 through 8 because 
It's in the midst of trials and tribulation when we, when we need God's wisdom and his direction the most. Now, it's not the only place, so this verse has applica- these verses have application in many different contexts, right? But what I want you not to miss is, right, is this sense, this clarity that you have joy when life is hard, when you trust God through the pain, and then immediately after that, you have a direction to come to God for wisdom, for direction. And it's actually um, interesting. It goes through, and I just want to kind of point out, just breaking down what's here, it says, ask God. It will be given. Ask in faith, don't doubt, right? So, and, and that's all from the Bible verse. And then hang on was just Ed Stetzer's personal experience that he wanted to share with you. Because in the midst of that struggle, sometimes you just gotta, gotta hang on. So ask God in the midst of that. So it might be in the midst of a crisis, might be in the midst of a trial, Maybe it's none of the above, and you can still believe and say, God, give me wisdom and direction. God communicates to us through his word, his inspired word. We read scriptures for wisdom. That will teach us what to do right, how to do right, and what not to do. Then then we might also say, Lord, guide me day by day. Guide me in understanding how I might live this truth out. And then the promise is it will be given. Now, sometimes it's given through your wisdom that God has given you, sometimes it's through that of friends who speak into your life, but it will be given. Ask in faith, don't doubt. There's two sides of the same coin, right? And it's strongly worded, ask in faith, but don't doubt. Now, because it's so close to verses two through four, verses five through eight, I wanna apply today to the question of your struggle. Because my guess is some of you are in the midst of a struggle right now. And, and Jesus is calling you and reminding you through this message today that you can, should, and must call upon him. Let me just ask you a question. How many of you in 2019 had a significant time of trial or tribulation? Raise your hand, 2019. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm hoping that that pattern doesn't hold in 2020. But how many of you had a significant trial in 2018? Raise your hand for just a second. Yeah, a whole lot of people too. 2019 seemed to be a worse year for you. But here's the reality. In the midst of those trials and the tribulation, we can lean upon Jesus, find his strength, ask him, believe his guidance will be there. So how might you respond? Well, I'm actually asking you to think for just a moment about trusting God when life is hard. Right now, that's some of you saying, that's immediately this situation right now. How about believing God that steadfastness is going to produce and have its full effect, that you may be perfect, mature, complete, lacking in nothing. Believe God in times of trial. But then ask God when life is confusing. I just want to take just a little extra time of prayer at the end of the message today so you might be able to do that very thing with me. Just if you wouldn't mind, just... If you're watching online, um, if you're here in our auditorium, just take just a moment and bow your heads and pray with me. Father, we, we come before you as a people who have experienced a lot of trials, a lot of tribulations, a lot of struggle. And Father, we know that you know that. We know this is not a surprise to you. We know that this is explained in multiple times through your word that trials and tribulations are working something in us. So we're to count it all joy. But Lord, sometimes we don't know what it is, so we come before you when life is confusing. 
We ask God for wisdom, believing it'll be given. We're asking in faith and not doubting. And Lord, we're holding on in the midst of that journey. Just with your head bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment, I wonder if you might think on that problem that you're in right now or that you walk through or that may be before you. And if you might say, Lord, I'm going to count that as joy. Lord, I want to thank you that you got me through it or you're getting me through it right now. Lord, I want to praise you for your goodness, your grace, your character, who you are. You make promises that you keep. And in those promises, you say that we should consider it all joy when you meet various trials and tribulations, knowing that this is producing steadfastness. You say, you promise that steadfastness will have its full effect. Can I ask you just in the quietness of this moment, just think on that struggle. Lean into that struggle. Don't run away from it and say, Lord, what are you teaching me in the midst of this? I ask you for wisdom. I ask you for your direction. Help me to learn, Jesus, what you have in mind for me. Jesus, draw me nearer as I labor through the storm. You've called me to this passage and I'll follow though I'm worn. Father, we come before you today as a people who just wanna trust you in the midst of our hurt and our pain and our struggles. Many, many far more serious than a overflowing washing machine. But Lord, help me to rejoice even in that, knowing that you're gonna work in it. But Father, I pray that for each of us here, our pain and our struggle might not go to waste. Our tribulation and our trial might not be for naught, but that indeed we might cling to you and steadfastness might produce in us the result which you desire, maturity and wisdom. Father, we come before you with our troubles and ask your strength. Would you just right now stand with me all over this auditorium? Let's stand together. Father, as we stand and we sing, we, we ask that Jesus would draw me nearer as I labor through that storm because you've called me to this passage and I'll follow though I mourn. Lord Jesus, we sing and this is our prayer. Help us, help us to have the joy. Help us to honor you through joy in the midst of struggle that you might bring that peace that passes all understanding. And Lord, we might know you, grow in you, trust you, believe you. And in the midst of trial, even when it hurts, we would know that Jesus is still here and Jesus is enough. Give us grace and strength as we sing to you.